What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is March 7th, 2022. We have a nice show on deck for you. We got another Buffalo Bandits victory. We have the Sabres going one and one in their last two games, and then our final positional breakdown for the Buffalo Bills. Phil, how's it going on this Monday morning? It's good. It's good. It was a uh, it was a good weekend for Buffalo sports. Really was. Really was. Very entertaining. Uh, no real stinkers or letdowns. So uh, I guess we'll dive into it. So remember, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to just hear certain sections of the show for whatever reason, because you don't want to hear our lovely voices for the entire time, you can skip around wherever you want. And our time descriptions are in the description of the show. So, Phil, bison season's only 29 days away. I know we talked a bit about it, but I like to do a countdown because uh, I am excited to see the uh, the division champs back in action in the beginning of April. I'll say, so are we officially counting it down per episode? Uh, we might be. We'll see how many times I remember. This is back-to-back, so uh, I'll try to keep the streak alive, but no promises. No it was promises whatsoever. easier to accept this weekend with a little bit of the warm weekend we had. Yes, Thinking about yes. baseball was a little little simpler, but uh, we're little back easier. into winter, so, uh, so we're almost there. <laughs> we'll move on to the Buffalo Bandits before we dive into our reaction of the game. We got a little bit more clarity on the Steve Priolo absence uh, situation. He was placed on the COVID list. That means there was an open spot on the active list, and Brad McCulley was called up which means Dalton Silver was magically back off the short-term holdout list. So they're able to maneuver the roster management a bit more, and that's why uh, the Buffalo Bandits is one of the better organizations in the league because they're able to uh, micromanage as much as they can. Yeah, which is uh, it's pretty cool that <laughs> they are able to ask these people to do what they want to do. I mean, it's, it's, it's back to that you know one-team kind of mentality that these players are willing to go on these short-term holdouts when asked. I mean, even if they're not playing, you know, it, it's nice to see them still doing whatever they can to help the team. So even if they're not on the active roster, you still see that one-team mentality with just the, the whole team all the way through. So we wish Steve Priolo a healthy and safe return back to the roster whenever he is able to get back. I know uh, COVID hits everybody a little bit differently, so hopefully he just has mild symptoms and is not hurt badly by the disease right now. So we'll get into the action of why everybody is actually listening to us. The Buffalo Bandits won another one, 9-1, first time since 2003. You've been hearing that a while, a bunch on this episode, or on this, on this podcast, because just so many records are just going down the drain because of this team right now. But they won 12-11 to in overtime, Phil. The, the Albany Firewolves tied it up very late in that game, and Buffalo took it to overtime, where Buchanan had a beautiful scoop off a rebound from a shot by Chase Frazier, and a little dunk goal over top of Jamison's right shoulder. It was a beautiful goal. He looked a little bit like uh, his younger version of himself. He still shows that his uh, old man legs can still get up there. <laughs> they do, and even Frazier's uh, play there, he almost scored himself. I mean, I think he had Jamison beat, and it just happened to go off the post, but even thinking about how that ball goes off the post, I was thinking about it kind of watching the replay over and over the next day just for fun because it's obviously exciting to watch an OT goal. So I was kind of watching that play a lot and watching the ball go off the post and go right to him. Like if that shot was, you know, a half inch to either side, it either could have gone off the post and in and bent over or off the post and kicked way to the right and we don't know how it would have ended up. So perfect little rebound for him. And yeah, he dunked it quite well. 
So Smith led the way with three goals, a hat-trick of his own. Nanakoke and Byrne each added a pair of their own. And then Coutier, Ian McKay, uh, Connor Fields, Nick Weiss, and like we said, Buchanan each added one for themselves. Vince made just 26 saves. It was a very uncharacteristic game for Matt Vince, and I know we're going to dive into it a bit more in just a second, but the shots were 54-37 to 37 in favor of the Buffalo Bandits. The face-offs were 18-9 in favor of the Wolves, and then the Bandits were perfect on the power play, 3-for-3. Three three. The Wolves were 2-for-4. Yeah, I think the biggest thing to me, which I kind of brought up in our preview, was going to be special teams. And I think the Bandits handled exactly what they needed to handle in this game. I mean, going perfect on your own power play was huge. It's something that the Bandits have been struggling a bit with. Again, they're not the bottom of the barrel of the league. I mean, they've been middle of the pack for their power play, but to be three for three was everything you needed. I mean, if they weren't, then who knows how this game ends up. And Staying out of the box was big, played a pretty clean game, and then having the Wolves only go two for four. I mean, yes, it's still 50%, but they were five of eight last time you played them. So they're very lethal on the power play, and to hold them to two for four was really good. Yeah, 100%. I guess we can dive into the first quarter. And Phil, it might have been one of the longest quarters in NLL history that started off the game. It it was over 40 minutes long of that quarter, and considering it was, it was 4-4, it's not like the game was being taken up by just goal after goal after goal. It was very long reviews. I don't know what was going on after that first challenge, why it took them so long to review that challenge. I mean, even the announcers in the game were going, I don't know why this is taking so long. It's not like he was looking at multiple, multiple camera angles. There was like two camera angles he could look at. And to me, it was, this is going to be inconclusive. He can't overrule it. It, it's 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 gonna be a good goal and uh that's that's pretty much what ended up happening jt loves to throw that challenge flag yeah i thought kind of what you said was why it took so long because there are only two angles they definitely need to get more angles in that 100%. arena i mean i don't know what the heck you had one angle and then you had that same angle but from farther away and it was on both nets like i i don't know that that's just not embarrassing, but not good for that exact situation. Like you can't see anything from those angles. I know TSN, I've mentioned multiple times, has their incredible camera angles that they seem to bring with the, you know, over the goalie cam and they're they're moving one from behind the net. But even if you didn't get that insane, but just having a a better angle somewhere in that arena, that they need to improve that moving forward because on all the challenges, there was just no solid angle to really determine what was going on, and it was very tough to tell. And that one especially, I think it was just so close. But, yeah, like you said, I think pretty early on from that challenge, you could have told, you know, figured out that it was going to be inconclusive and why it took that that long, I'm not sure, unless they were just really trying to see if they could figure it out, you know, conclusively. But, yeah, it was definitely going to be inconclusive, but... Johnny uh, definitely looked like Josh Allen out there throwing that challenge flag multiple times and even the one that they disallowed, which we've seen a few times this year. And I know he has, what, 30 seconds to get the the flag out. But at the same time, like you seem to be saying that they weren't showing the replay on the big board, which they are supposed to do pretty much immediately after a goal. So if he's not getting the look that he's supposed to be allowed and that's going over 30 seconds, that's something that the arena also needs to adjust and change. I'm not sure how much the refs have control over that, but I understand his frustration. So I think we should talk about a little bit about the penalties. Like we mentioned earlier, it seemed like they were much more disciplined in this game. There was only a handful of them in this one, and Nick Weiss got the double minor for complaining after the uh, 
The make-believe call that I believe the refs made on that cross-checking where <laughs> Reza Terrace fell into Nick Weiss, and yes, Nick Weiss kept him down a bit, but it's it's nothing abnormal like it doesn't happen in NLL before. So I thought that one was a, a, a bit of a uh, chintzy call, and then the the one I know is worthy, the other cross-checking one in the third, that one also seemed, uh, you know, a little make-believe, but I will hand it to them. It, 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 I'm not just going to be talking about the Buffalo Bandits getting the short end of the stick because I thought they got the favor when the the cross checking penalty for a five minute major went on Nardella in front of the in front of the net on Nanakoke. I've seen a lot worse get called a lot less. So I thought the ba- Buffalo Bandits benefited from that five minute major. I was really just expecting it to be a, a two minute high stick or high uh, cross check to the face. I did not expect a five minute major. I'll take it. I will gladly take it and they benefited off that scoring two goals and it kept their best faceoff guy in the box for three different faceoffs and for the full five minutes but it, it definitely to me did not look like a five minute major worthy penalty but again I will take it and run with it and I'm fine with it yeah I mean how many times have we seen Fraser just get cross-checked to the face yeah, and be yeah, bleeding yeah. and get absolutely no call not even a two minute let alone a five minute I agree. I think it was a little bit more shoulder. Um, it was a high cross check. Should have probably just been two minutes for cross checking. I doubt that the refs would be able to review their calls mid game. But if you know they have someone watching the calls or watching what we see, because they do have that one ref that kind of sits and watches the broadcast. I wonder if they saw that Nick Weiss's penalty was a little bit of a phantom call and we're trying to make it up to him because he did get a four minute and he, you know, had every right to complain about the call that was extremely weak. He did absolutely nothing wrong on the play and they gave him a two minute and then obviously the two on top of it. So I could see that possibly as a little bit of a makeup if, you know, the off field ref who's watching the game kind of just, you know, saw the play and was like, Hey, you guys, that was not a penalty. Maybe, uh, do something to fix that. But yeah, I mean, even the one again, late in the game for Noseworthy wasn't great, but if you take those three penalties out, I mean, the bandits really should have only had one penalty kill opportunity or power play for the wolves. And I think that's really good for them. And I think they did a good job playing clean game. So I think we should also talk about the guy who has played in three games. Now, Max Adler, he definitely is growing on me. I know a lot of people in NLL world and especially in the bandits mafia, are at odds if faceoffs are, you know, a, a worthwhile stat and if something they should invest in. And I think the last three games with Max Adler there, it's showing that I'm not saying one way or the other that faceoffs play a huge factor in wins and losses, but in this one, he definitely held his own against Nardella. It, it he definitely did not, you know, win as many as Nardella did. It was it was eighteen nine, but. He was able to win the three when Nardella was in the box, and he definitely held his own there. Yes, he only won six against Nardella, but Nardella was not coming up with the clean faceoffs and getting those breaks like they did the uh, in uh, the first matchup against each other, where Nardella was just you know scooping it and going, and they would have a two on one rush. Yes, I think they adjusted. Um, uh, I think Johnny T adjusted where everybody was going to start on um, the lines there where he had three guys back and one guy on the other side. So it did look like they were playing more to Adler's favor where he's going to be able to get the ball and scoop it back so you guys can get the get the loose ball there. But I I definitely got to hand it to him that face off in overtime where he beat him clean. 
he is responsible in starting that rush to get that game-winning goal because he won that faceoff there. So, yes, I'm not arguing one way or the other for faceoff's importance, but it was huge in this one, winning that final one in overtime because I'm sitting on the couch watching with Brooke, and she goes, who do you think is going to win? I went, "Uh, I can't pick a winner here, but it's whoever's going to get the first possession is going to win it. And Max Adler won the first possession, and bada-bing, bada-boom, they won the game. (laughs) Yeah, and honestly, the the whole game, as it was getting closer to the end and eventually when the Firewolves tied it up, the way Vince was playing, which again, we'll get into in a second, like he was just, he had me very scared for a lot of the game, the way he was playing. And I just did not feel great about them going into overtime. Like you said, especially with Nardella. I mean, the way Banesh and Resetairs were playing all game, it easily could have been a Nardella face-off win. They get one shot and they bury it, but... The fact that Adler was able to win the overtime faceoff and then Fraser went down and they, I mean, the offense wasn't even on the field. I mean, it was Fraser just kind of took it on himself to take that shot and then Buchanan buried the rebound, but the rest of the offense wasn't even there. They hardly really set up. I mean, it all happened so fast. And the only reason that happens because Adler wins that faceoff. And like you said, the other big thing with him is that Nardella wasn't able to win them clean and just kind of take off on that three on two transition which, I mean, I don't think they've scored a ton of times, but again, in a game like this that went into overtime, if Nardella gets even one chance and buries it, that could be the whole difference of the game. So I, I think the in-game face-offs are still a little bit, you know, could go either way if they're important or not. I mean, obviously having a few extra possessions is important and exciting, but the Bandits have obviously held their own without a face-off guy for quite some time. So in-game it's hard to say if they're, you know, that important, but that overtime one clearly was the game-winning play, so very important in that instance. Yeah, I mean, they're still only winning about 33% of their faceoffs and they're 9 and 1. And yes, I I know I've said it before that in these close games down the stretch you're going to want to have a guy that can win you the faceoffs and yes, uh, I think I believe Max Adler is definitely a benefit to this team winning more faceoffs than anybody else on this team has been able to do. But they're still down 93 faceoffs. The the opponents have won 179 of the 265. Bandits have only won 86. So the difference there is 93 different faceoffs. So there's 93 different opportunities for the other team to get the first possession and score there. But it, it just hasn't happened. So yes. Faceoffs in certain situations, I believe, are very important, but otherwise, I think they're a, a secondary stat to what else is important for the Buffalo Bandits going forward. Completely agree, but I think that the fact that they have Adler and he is doing well, I mean, I think 100%. it's good to just yep. have that guy on the team for the exact situation that we just saw in overtime in this game. Yeah, especially for playoffs when that's coming up. But I, I the other couple things I got three more positives I guess I'll combine them and uh, we can move forward from there but I guess the, f- the first one Josh Byrne shorthanded goal scoring master this is his fourth one out of the year he's leading the league right now it's it's nice to have a guy like that that can score when it's five on four uh, four on three or anything like that where your offense doesn't have to go stagnant where you got a guy out there that can score and when he can go airborne like that you got a chance to score in any possession Connor Fields being able to change his his shot angle in a split second where he was going to go over top and then went more side, more like a 45-degree angle shot to for the go-ahead goal. He is lethal. He might be one of the best shooters on this team from distance. And it's great to have a – I know we've talked about having such unselfish guys on offense, but having such a diverse collection of guys who are great at different things, like Josh Burns, great in inwards. Uh 
Dane Smith great at creating his own shots. Nanakoke is deadly in close. And then you got Fields who's who's great on the outside. Having such a collection of guys that if if a team's playing one certain way on defense, you have a guy on the field at all times who can beat that defense. It's it's just great to have. And then the last thing, Phil, this team is no longer trailing in any quarter this entire year. They have they have come back. The goal differential, their worst one is zero, and that's coming in the second quarter. They they're they're zero zero in in the uh, they're twenty nine goals for twenty nine goals against in the second. In the first, they're plus twelve. In the third, they're plus eleven. In the fourth, they're plus eight. And in overtime, they're plus two for a total of thirty three. To the positive, Phil, this team is uh this team is deadly. Yeah, and I think uh, a lot of that we have to thank the Firewolves for. I mean, that yes, uh, extremely you. weird game we had against them turned a lot of this. And then this game, like you said, I mean, this is the one that made it so everything is either even or positive. So thank you to the Firewolves for that. The only other real positive I have from this one is just the incredible play of Dane Smith and how he has been yes. all year. He yep. is easily a MVP candidate so far this year. He is scoring a full point ahead in points per game average than any other player in the league. And even just seeing his power play goal where he faked his shot and then just dunked it over Jamison's shoulder. Incredible play. Um, It looked really simple, but at the same time, when I watched it live, I thought he shot it got his own rebound and then scored. And then they showed the replay and I was like, oh, that was an extremely hard fake shot. Got Jameson out of position and then just buried it over his shoulder. The dude's amazing. Um, it was such a, more... it was such a light toss too. Did you right. notice that it like, it had some air under it where it just stayed <laughs> in the air for extra long seconds. It was a beautiful play. Yeah, he is. He's just incredibly so much fun to watch. And I mean, again, his, Goal scoring ability, I'm not going to say it has gone down at all, considering the play we just kind of mentioned, and just he is still a lethal goal scorer. But at the same time in this game, he had another five assists, and he leads the entire league in assists. And I think just the way he's been able to adapt his game to really be a little bit more of a team player, not that he was ever really selfish, but he's taking a you know a little a few less shots and passing a little bit more. And I think this team just obviously benefits so much for him, but for him to be halfway through the year right now and have just an MVP campaign going, it's great to see for the team. So Phil, I mean, a game like this, there are going to be some negatives when it is this close of a game. And I mean, for the Buffalo Bands being nine and one, how, how much critiquing can you do? But I mean, I, when a game like this is played, there's going to be some areas of the game where we weren't happy about with, and I'm sure the team wasn't as well. Going into this one, you knew the top two players on this team. They're the top two guys producing on this team. They're some of the top two guys in the league. I believe they're both in the top five in uh, points, points on the season so far right now through the NLL. Resiteris and Benny just lit up the lamp. They were open way too many times. Their pick plays were way too effective for this defense. They were getting way too many opportunities. There was a couple times where Resiteris was on the left side and nobody was within five feet of him. I'm going, this is the this is the leading point producer in the league right now. How is nobody within five feet of him? They each had four goals. Benny added three assists. Resiteris had two. It's just these are the times where your defense has to know who it, they've done it so well throughout the entire year, locking them down the first time through Reza Terrace and Benny only had two, two goals. And I, I think maybe each five points total, they were able to lock them down last time. I don't know what happened and broke down in the defense. I don't know if 
the the absence of Steve Perillo this time hurt him more because he was there the first time, wasn't there this time. But it, it was definitely way too many opportunities for Benny and Resiteris. But I, I got to hand it to Resiteris. That game tying goal where he dove across the crease, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful shot, beautiful goal. I, I, I can't believe he stayed levitating that long. <laughs> Yeah, he is an incredible player, as is Benny. They both had, like you said, really good games. I think against Rochester, this team, Rochester's offense just is not as strong as the Firewolves is. So it was easier to lock down Evans and their top players. Whereas this game, like you said, both of these players are in the top five in the entire league in scoring. I think this is the first game. Obviously, he's only been missing for two. um, But this game especially was, you were just missing Priolo's presence. I mean, I think... McKay holds his own as the, you know, kind of captain of the defense when Priolo's out. But in a game like this, you need McKay and Priolo there to lock down both of those players. And when you don't have that, obviously the defense held their own. I mean, the offense for the Firewolves did not have that many shots. They only had 37 and Vince, I mean, he had a, a few that he let by him. So, I mean, if you take some of those plays out, um, some of those easier goals, I think you're looking at a different game. And I think this defense played very well outside of what they allowed Reza Terrace and Benny to do, but still either way, you knew the two that you had to watch. I mean, they're top five in the, in the league for a reason. So I'm guessing, you know, every single game teams go in, trying to, you know, game plan for these two players. And they just simply have not found a way to figure either of them out. So it's not just the bandits, but I think their defense held their own, but the, yeah, they, they needed to do a little bit better against those two. Another one was, it, it's becoming, I, won't, I don't want to say a theme, but it's becoming noticeable now. This team goes through goal droughts that are just way too long for this high-powered of an offense. I mean, they they scored 31 seconds into the third period where Nanakoke had his goal to take the 9-7 lead. They didn't score again until 8-22 into the fourth quarter. That's that's unbelievable how an offense like this can just go stagnant for so long and I, I gotta give a credit to the announcers they said it during the game it just seemed like the buffalo bandits were pressing too much and they just couldn't get their offense rolling it's, they they have to figure out how to break these goal streaks a bit sooner and even if you get one or two during that stretch it's better than going what is that 23 minutes without a goal it's just it's 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 a good thing that their defense was able to lock them down and they only allowed one goal in the third quarter there along with the Buffalo Bandits as well to keep that that close. So it is nice to have a defense that you can rely on back there where when they need to in that third quarter, they lock it down. But the Buffalo Bandits, their goal droughts sometimes are just crazy to think of when you have that high power of an offense. Yeah, I know they mentioned the Firewolves having a very stingy defense, and we've talked about it the last time we played them, and that their their defense seems quite good. Um, I think they were able to kind of keep the Bandits to the outside for yep. most of the game. I think, to me, it was strange not to see, like, the, the different lineups, I guess, or, like, line changes. Like, we the way that the players were on the field when it was the five offensive players seemed just a little bit confusing or just strange how they were lining everybody up. I mean, we didn't see or haven't seen a lot of Nanakoke and Smith together on the same side since that game where they were doing, you know, pick and rolls all day and just had an incredibly good time over there. But we haven't really seen too much of that. And just the different combinations they were throwing out there was a little strange and they just were not getting the in tight looks that we are used to seeing this offense get. But at the same time, 
I think it it shows that they are able to adjust. I mean, they go on these really long runs that maybe the other team is adjusting to what the Bandits offense is doing, kind of locks them down. But then in the middle of the game, the Bandits offense is then, again, able to adjust to what the defense is doing and kind of open it back up. So it's kind of a good and bad thing. But like you said, you just can't have that long of a goal drought. I mean, obviously they're 9-1, and one, but as we inch closer to playoffs, you just you can't be having that. So the one of the final ones that I will mention for the negatives, we praised him last game because he just had an unbelievable game. This one was probably one of his worst performances this year. Yes, he came up huge in some situations where you needed him to, but there was just a few squeakers that just you can't let go through, especially in a game this close where you need to rely on your back end, the guy in your in your net that needs to stand on his head and perform, but just make those simple saves that he needs to make. And that's Matt Vince. I thought there was just a couple in this one that he would have wanted back. And like I said, in this close of a game where, especially with a team that you are, where everybody's going to give you your best effort, in this close of a game, you just need to be top-notch and don't let those squeakers get through. And there was two or three off the top of my head that I think Vince just wanted back and needed back. And it was this was not one of his best games, but you can rely on him so often. You can't really you know, get too down on it because every goalie in the NLL is going to have a down performance every once in a while on an 18-game schedule. So if this is his one and you still came out on top, I'm good with it. But there's just there's one or two that I think he should have made the save on. I think with just how competitive he is and knowing, you know, the kind of goalie he is, I mean, obviously he's been at the top of the goalie world for a very long time. So I think this is one of those games that you're you're excited to get the win. Your team was able to kind of bail him out, but at the same time, he's bailed the team out multiple times as well. So I think this is one that he will, you know, immediately go back and study. And I think next game you will see a very dialed in, very you know, kind of hyped up Matt Vince, and I think he will have an incredible game. He seems to bounce back from his, we'll say, average performances because we're used to him being just so incredibly elite all the time that when he has a more average performance, it's just a little confusing to see from us, and uh, I think it's a game that he will be able to come back for. But as a positive for Vince, um, it was very interesting to see that he was aggressive on a loose ball. We don't often see him come too far out of the net and I mean sometimes they'll go behind the net and try to scoop it up but he came way out of the net kind of scooped up a loose ball launched it on a perfect pass and the play ended up going for a goal that he kind of started had he not done that so I mean he ended up getting an assist in the game and again it's a game that you ended up winning in overtime so if he doesn't make that play you don't get that goal who knows what kind of game you're ended up with so a little bit of a positive for him to get on the uh, scoreboard there with an assist. Yeah, Phil, if you can believe it, he's actually got four assists in this year alone. Or, uh, you know, that's more than some of the players that are out on the field. So, congrats to him. And, you know, it, it, like I said, and like you said, he did have a down game, but he's he's bound to bounce back, especially next week where they're facing Philly. And that's another close game where you're going to definitely want to pull ahead because there's there's it's a three man race at the top. With you got Buffalo, Halifax, and Toronto's two games back, but then right after that, you got three teams that have got five wins. If you can bury Philly again next week and knock them down another peg, your chances of clinching a spot in the playoffs grow even more. And then rather than focusing on actually making the playoffs, you can focus on getting whatever seed you want, which is likely number one. And it's 
It only gets tougher. I mean, even if some of these teams don't have the best record, they are log jammed in the East for that last playoff spot. So they are absolutely hungry. They're trying to go out there. I mean, their playoff lives depend on it at this point in the season. We're not at the very end, but you're over halfway. So every single game is just massive. And with the amount of teams that are stacked up in the East, all in that one little spot there in the middle for that fourth playoff spot. I mean, these games are going to get very, very tough with teams just playing absolutely desperate at the same time, your team coming into the game, I mean, next week and just carried on. I mean, you're one of the best teams, if not the best team in the league. You're nine and one. So every single team's going to want to, you know, go after you just because you're that big of a powerhouse as well. So these games are going to get real tough. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we will move ahead to the BSC update, Phil. Unless you got anything else you wanted to add to this, uh, this, this game. Uh, the only other thing from this one was that Bomberry and Durston came back for the Firewolves. Bomberry was pretty solid on defense, got a little chippy in one of the plays, and I was happy the Bands didn't really fight back too much. And kind of fun to see Durston um, back out there. I know you were a huge fan of Durston, and we're not happy was, that yes. we we lost him. He ended up getting one goal and seven loose balls in this one, which is kind of what he does. He's more of a loose ball kind of guy. And Dirty it was Durston. His, first game back so I mean, it was kind of it was fun to see him and glad that he ended up on the losing end of things but um kind of fun to see him back yeah so for the bsc update i am up 16 19.9 to 14 23.18 for you so we'll do a little bit of a breakdown here and uh you had the only guy that was in double digit points so congrats to you dane smith had 16.5 coutier 5 Nana Coke 7, McKay 7, Spanger 4 for 39.5. So you're going to you're gonna like that score there, Phil. <laughs> Josh Byrne got me 7.5, Frazier 2, Fields 8.5, Steve Priolo did not play. Brown now got me 2 for 20 points. So you almost put a 20 spot on me. You almost doubled me up, Phil. You almost doubled me up. It's about time you deal with someone not playing for once. <laughs> yeah, I've been back-to-back games without Priolo, and, you know, my captain's away, and it's hurting. It's, it's definitely hurting. hurting. You need the leadership back. I do. I'm lacking leadership in my locker room. And McKay has stepped it up. He has, and he's on your team, so that that definitely hurts, too. <laughs> so for a milestone update, we updated on three possible milestones that were happening, but Priola did not play, so it was down to two. And one of them hit. Chase Frazier crossed 300 regular season career shots, so congrats to him. He's a shooting machine. He had 10 in this game. And uh, congrats to him. 300 shots in, in NLL career is not something to you know look away at. No, it's a, it's a lot of shots. I think it's, I don't know, it's kind of weird to not see him in the goal column as much as he yep. was yep. last year. Again, we've talked about how balanced this team is, and I think he's still a huge part of this offense. I mean, watching his ability, he has not lost a step in talent by any means, but just kind of interesting to see that the focus of the offense has kind of moved away from him a little bit. But, I mean, his swim moves that he pulls off every once in a while are still absolutely incredible, and congratulations on the milestone. Yeah, there's only one ball in this game. So if there was two, it definitely would be a lot more scoring. <laughs> so on our next show, we will dive into the both the Philadelphia Wings game. It's wing night next Saturday in Bandit Land. They're, they're back after, a, was it a two-week hiatus, Phil? Or they were gone for, no, it was just one week, right? I think it was yeah. just one week. Yeah, so we'll be back for wing night versus the Philadelphia Wings. Their first time facing them this season. And uh, we're also going to cover the Buffalo Bandits trades that have happened near the deadline because the trade deadline is next week, Tuesday, the 15th. 
at noon, I believe it is. So we'll go over some of the past deals that the Buffalo Bandits have made. And I know I know this team is pretty locked down from top to bottom, but if there's anything out there that the Buffalo Bandits might need to upgrade in, but it's just, they're so loaded with talent right now, they have to have a guy go on short-term holdout list so they don't lose anybody. So it, it's going to be tough to see if they're even going to be active in the trade market, but who, who knows? I've, I've seen crazier things. So with that, Phil, we will move ahead to the Buffalo Sabres. One game was fun. One game was not as fun. So we'll start with the fun one first. They faced the Wild on Friday looking to win two in a row, and they did. They won 5-4. to four. Skinner had two. Middlestad had one. Ocposo had one. And then Olofsson finished it off with an empty netter. Anderson made 29 of 33 saves for win 299 in his career. He's one short of 300, obviously, if he did the math there. Shots were 38 to 33 in favor of the Buffalo Sabres. That moved them to 18, 30, and 8. Yeah, there were actually a lot of positives in this game. It was really... Fun game to watch. Um, We've mentioned that they have played a lot of tough teams recently. And I mean, for them to get another back-to-back win was really exciting. I mean, sadly, as we will discuss shortly, they did not get the third win in a row, which they are still looking for. But I mean, this one was a really fun game. The Wild are a very strong team. I think, I don't know, one of the big things for me was Middlestat in this one. It was great to see him finally get back in the goal column. I mean, it's got to feel great for him. And he had a few other just really solid plays. He looked like a little bit back, just his old middle stat from, I mean, preseason where we were kind of expecting him to be one of the best forwards on the team. And he's kind of obviously had a lot of injuries that he's been dealing with all season. So he has been struggling to kind of get back into form. But I think this one, he he really kind of took over and looked really good. Yeah, this was definitely middle stat's best game of the year. Like you said, he cashed in on that rebound on the penalty shot or the penalty or the power play. I'm sorry, power play. But that power play, the first one was very fun to watch. The passes were quick. They were crisp. And he, I know he's on the second power play unit, but he benefited from being in the right spot at the right time and just cashed in. And I, I think that's going to be the goal that kind of gets him going through the rest of the season and kind of finish off on a high note like he did last year. And like you said, this year he's been just rattled with injuries. So it's kind of been a lost year for him, but he can kind of save a little bit if he can get on that hot streak at the end of the year and prove like, Hey, I can still be your number two center. You don't have to replace me. If I can't be the number two center, I can be your uh, top six winger on this team moving forward. So uh, I I definitely hope this game can, and this goal can rejuvenate him and kind of get him going for the rest of the year. I mean, anytime you're going into the season, number one center can drop down to your number two center simply because you have another number one center that stepped up. I think that's great for the team. Oh, yeah. And their future. I mean, if Middlestack gets back into form and kind of gets back to a player that should have been the number one center and you have two number one centers who are both very young, I think that would be absolutely incredible. And another player who we have not heard too much of and we discussed recently was Asplund. And in this game, he looked really, really good. Um, it may have been the best I've seen him all year as well. I think that Krebs, Olofsson, and Asplund line had a few really good shifts together, but Asplund was flying around. He had a lot of breakaway opportunities, two-on-ones, and he just he looked very, very good in this one. Yeah, the, the biggest thing for me for Asplund, and I think I said it in the last episode, I don't think he's going to be a point producer guy. I think he's going to be between 10 to 20 points a season, but I think he's going to be that third third-line winger who's going to be killing penalties. He's going to be against the top line on the other team. He's going to be, I can see him being centered by Dylan Cousins once the rest of these guys come up and be on this team and be that checking checking line and locks down the other team uh, best line and be that 
two way forward. And, and I, I, I think his value on this team is a bit underappreciated because he's going through such a goal drought right now. And he's not producing as many points as one would hope for being a second round pick that he was. But I, I think he's going, he, I think he, I can relate him to Johan Larson where Johan Larson was just undervalued on this team because of the role he was in. He was not going to be a top six forward, but he was going to be a bottom six forward. That's doing all the nitty gritty stuff that's not going to be making the box score. But I completely agree with you. He was moving around. I love that line with Krebs, him, and Olofsson. I think they're they're just waiting for those goals to start pouring in because they're getting so many opportunities the last four or five games. And putting that line together, I think I think it's going to unlock Asplid to be able to produce more than he actually is so far. Yeah, Krebs got absolutely robbed. I mean, him and Asplund had that two-on-one, and Asplund had a great play to get out of his skates and get the pass back to Krebs. And Krebs thought he scored, but the goalie made an incredible save. It went off the defender just a little bit to deflect it toward the goalie, and then the goalie made a toe save, and Krebs threw his hands up like he got the goal, but he did not. But um, it was an absolutely incredible play by both of them. And like you said, I think you can see the creativity on that line start to really uh, come together. Krebs is by far one of the best passers I've ever seen on the Buffalo Sabres in recent history. It's just, it's his IQ on the ice and recognizing and some of his long passes are just unbelievable. He's, he's going to have such a beautiful future. And I think I said it right when that trade happened that he's not going to be this 25, 30 goal scorer, but he's going to have 50 to 60 assists in this league. And I, I stand by that. I think he's going to, and he's just such a great passer. I think with him and Tuck, like they each bring something very unique to yep. the Sabres and Krebs. It's just that vision. It's that hockey IQ. And like you said, his passing is just, it really helps break things out for the entire team. And Tuck, his forechecking ability has been absolutely ridiculous since he has come in. I mean, the way he pressures the puck, gets his body in the puck, like in the way, and then uses his big frame to just kind of poke pucks away and just be a pest out there for his size. He is absolutely fantastic at forechecking. I think it's just something that each of them bring that the team just was really missing. And that's just two more things to add to this team's future. Yeah. Like we said, there's just so many pauses in this game because it was just a fun one to watch. And they were just so, so much better on the ice than they have been on average throughout the whole season. But Dylan Cousins, I know I I mentioned a couple episodes ago that he's just going through this bad streak right now. Since I said that, and I'm not taking credit for it, but if you want to give me credit, I'll take it. Dylan Cousins has been winning every single battle on the boards. I can count four or five times off the top of my head, and one of them was the, the last game where he fed. He won the battle in Toronto, won the won the puck, and gave it out to Akposo behind the net where Akposo scored the goal. But he's just winning along the boards nonstop. He's flying around the ice. He's lowering his body. And then right after the game where there's a little, I don't want to say it was a fight, but it was a heated argument where hands were being, you know, used to grab each other. He it was a, did it was the a old fight. Josh. Yeah, it was a cat <laughs> fight. He used the Josh Allen uh, wave goodbye as the game was over. Uh, Minnesota was leaving the bench. He just does a nice little wave by as he skates down to congratulate uh, Craig Anderson. It was nice to have. I, I like that kind of attitude on a team where. Hey, we're, I'm going to stand up to you because if if you're going to start crap, I'm going to I'm going to finish it. But I'm also going to wave goodbye as you walk off the ice because we just defeated you. And it's it's very easy to do when you're a team that has the record the Sabers do because I'll say theoretically any team like Minnesota should be able to beat you. 
And when you beat a team that is just has a better record and should be better than you, it's just that much easier to be like, hey, you guys couldn't even beat us, so get out of here. Yeah, I think we would be bad podcast hosts if we didn't mention this man's just Skinner. We've mentioned him multiple times on thank you for firing Ralph Kruger. He should have never been hired. Go back to soccer, you crazy, crazy man. But <laughs> Jeff Skinner, when he is on a roll and he's talking crap to the other team, he gets so fired up. I don't know what he said because I can't read lifts, but after he congratulated his teammates after scoring the tying goal in this game, he was chirping something at the other team. And then as soon as he scored again, maybe what was it like seven minutes later to pull ahead? It was, I love happy Jeff Skinner. His smile is contagious when they're playing party in the USA, in the arena. It just makes me so happy that he's on this team. Yes, I would like him to be making like 6 or $7 million instead of the nine he's making, but having him on this team and being centered by Tage Thompson, it's a line that I can see growing for the next five years because that's how much longer Jeff Skinner is going to be on this team. Yeah, he has just looked like a, a man on a mission this season. I mean, he has just come out of nowhere. I mean, obviously we knew he had it in him, but the last couple seasons he has been a shell of himself. Obviously a lot of that had to do with coaching, burying him on the fourth line where he absolutely does not belong. And the emergence of Tage Thompson as that number one center of that line with him and Tuck has just been incredible. But seeing the way Skinner has even been able to score, like the second goal he scored where Again, his skating just blows my mind every single time I watch him. He just glides around the ice like it's absolutely nothing. And for him to get his own rebound and then chip the puck between that player's legs who didn't even know where the puck was and then bury it into the roof of the net, it was just an absolutely incredible goal that he makes look completely effortless. And it all started by the four-check attack who just got the puck out of the zone and then Skinner kind of took it from there. But that line has been incredible. Skinner's been incredible. And we finally have some really fun uh, Buffalo Sabres hockey to watch. Yeah, and uh, with that, we'll move on to not fun Buffalo Sabres hockey, so sorry to be a Debbie Downer. Just before we started recording, they finished up the game versus the Kings. They lost 3 nothing. Now, don't let the score fool you. Two of those goals were empty netters, so it was actually a one nothing game. Tukarski made 29 of 30 saves. Like I said, two of them were empty netters at the end. It was a lot closer. It just, they couldn't get any good chances it seemed like after the first period where it was both up and down real quick the Kings kind of locked it down in the second and third period where they were like you're, you're not getting to the center of the ice we were playing a 1-3-1 in the neutral zone where they were just not letting the Buffalo Sabres play their style where they want to get up the ice and back and back and up back 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 and it, it just seems to kill their momentum like the whole third period there was maybe I don't know 20 seconds of dump and chase and then they the Kings would get it out of the own uh, own end, dump it down the ice, and then you got Darlene back there, you got Fitzgerald back there, you got Samuelson back there that are just skating around waiting for the line changes to go, and then they would go again, dump and chase, and it just it was a very nice game plan by the Kings after they took the lead to just go, okay, we're gonna lock it down, we're gonna play some boring hockey, and it, it was a gross game that you go from the wild game to this one where the shots in this one were 32 to 19 in favor of the Kings, but it was just, it was not a fun game to watch. And the Kings kind of, you know, sucked the life out of kids day at at the (laughs) arena, but it was, it was, it was an ugly game to watch and they just couldn't get anything going. Yeah. The first period looked really good. Um, The Sabres had a few really solid opportunities and the Kings goalie Peterson, who was a Sabres prospect, he's a jerk. Um, but he uh, he made some good saves, and the Sabres had some pretty good chances early on. But like you said, 
After that, it was pretty much all Kings, and I did not realize the Kings were actually a good team this year. It's weird because they've been bad for the last couple of seasons, and uh, seeing that they were good, I was like, oh, another team that seems to have figured it out much quicker than the Sabres, and that is a little bit depressing. But yeah, it was a very boring Sunday afternoon game, and uh, I don't know, I think, feel like we can just kind of move on from it, act like uh, it didn't happen, just really focus on that wild game. Yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. There wasn't much to take from this. I know Alex Tuck left hurt. He kind of went neck first into the post, but I know you saw it beforehand that he, he's a bit sore. He's probably going to miss in the next couple games, but he avoided anything major, and that's a giant plus because that top line has been their best line in the last, what, couple months. So having him out is going to stink, but thank you, everybody, that it's not a bad injury. Yeah, it doesn't sound from what I saw earlier that there's nothing to do with his head. It was pretty much all shoulder, and even that, it seems like his tests are going pretty well, that he didn't suffer any major damage, but I'm not really sure how he didn't. I mean, <laughs> he went straight through that pole with his shoulder. I understand that there's supposed to be breakaway poles, so I mean, it's kind of in case something like that happens, but they're still solid metal, and they are still very strong and heavy nets and I mean he was going in there pretty much full speed and I think I I know it kind of looked like he tripped but I feel like he was mainly trying to avoid crashing into the goalie I think those were his two options was either kind of go into the goalie with some with his momentum or try to dodge the net and he just probably stumbled a little bit trying to do that and yeah it looked really bad um so it's really good to see that it's not because the Sabres have had enough injuries for I think the rest of the season so if they could just maybe you know try to remain healthy that would be nice yeah it's a good thing those poles move now because in the early days where they would not move that would be a season under that would have been bad yeah that's probably broken collarbone and more yeah that's a high pedicle bill (laughs) so we will go into the BSC update for game 56 against the wild you put up six and a half points I put up 13 Thank you, Jeff Skinner. And then for game 57, you put up one and a half. I put up three. And that is why we didn't dive too much into that game because it was a very boring game. Yeah, it really it really was. I mean, the wild one, especially, I mean, we kind of, we didn't mention this, but the Sabres went down in the third period against the wild. And I think they, I mean, the wild scored two back-to-back goals very early on in the third. And for the Sabres not to give up and just kind of let that be the end of the game and just kind of hang their heads and, forget about it and just kind of move on. I mean, for them to kind of keep fighting and not only that, but to come back and win after that. I mean, it was just such a good game. And then then the Kings game happens, so we will uh, move on to the next fun week that they have ahead. Yeah, uh, the good segue there, it is going to be a fun week because it's a return of two former core guys. Sam Reinhart is making his way back to Buffalo on the Florida Panthers tonight. So that's going to be a fun game. We'll be very interested to see if they give him a video tribute or something like they did with Risto, where it's just a pitcher and saying thank you. Thursday, Jack Eichel returns. That's right when we're recording, so we won't be able to hit on that one until the following show. So we'll hit the Sam Reinhart episode or uh, episode breakdown on our next show on Friday, but the Jack Eichel one will have to wait until the following one on Monday. But two former, you know, core guys who were supposed to be the the next coming of the Buffalo Sabres generation are coming back to town and please don't boo them. Please. I, I'm I'm begging you. They, it wasn't their fault that there was incompetence at the front office level and the, the ownership. So uh you know, thank them for their time. Once the game starts, then you can boo them. I'm fine with that. But during the video tribute or whatever they're doing for him, please don't boo them. They they don't deserve it. 
Yeah, I think Eichel might get some mixed reviews. Again, I completely agree with you that it was not 100% uh, his fault. I think it was a little bit cloudy um, as to what happened there, but definitely was not all on the player by any means. And I think he did give us, you know, a lot of good years, and he tried. The team was just very poorly built around him, and I think everyone likes Sam Reinhardt still to this day. So, yeah, I don't think there'll be too much booing for either of them. Just kind of a I, – if there is booing, I hope that there are signs kind of booing the ownership more than anything. Yeah, 100%. 100%. They deserve it. <laughs> so we'll move on to our final positional breakdown for the Buffalo Bills segment. Phil, it's probably your favorite position because uh, one of your favorite players is in this position room. Special teams, there's three main guys that we're going to talk about because everybody else we pretty much hit on. But there's uh, three guys currently under contract as of this recording. Matt Hack is their punter. He's got two years left. He's got a cap hit of 1.9. The dead cap is $750,000. or $700,000. He's 28 years old. Reed Ferguson, three-year deals left. He's making just a hair over a million dollars. And then Tyler Bass still on his rookie deal. He's got two years left, $941,000 for one of the best kickers in the league, 25 years old. He's going to be around for a while. Phil, who's your favorite player on that list? <laughs> I think it's going to be Reed Ferguson. No, it is uh, Tyler Bass. He is incredible. Love the guy. Love his attitude. And he has been a very solid place kicker since he's coming to this league for the Bills. And like you said, I think he is going to be the Bills kicker of the future. And he finished with uh, he finished 12th this year in converting 87.5% of his field goals. And he made 28 of 32 of those and converted 51 of 51 extra points. I believe he was only one of five field goal kickers on the entire season to um, successfully convert all of his extra points. So nice job by T-Bass there. Yeah, it's uh, it's a position that and the long snapper are two positions we don't have to worry about for years to come. They're both locked in for a while. Tyler Bass is going to earn a contract extension down the road, but he's still got two years left, so we don't have to worry about that yet. Rick Ferguson, obviously, he's got three years left, but I think the position that we really, really need to talk about is punter. I thought we fixed the position when... You know, Corey Bajorquez didn't get re-signed. He went to the Packers, and then we brought in Matt Hack on a three-year deal. He was supposed to come in and be a more consistent guy in the punting department, and it just didn't happen. I can understand why they didn't cut bait midway through the season on him because it would have messed with Tyler Bass, and because obviously Matt Hack is the holder, it would have stunk to affect Tyler Bass, so you kind of lived with the punting, which didn't happen a ton because Buffalo Bills were pretty good on offense. They didn't punt it very often. But when they had to, Matt Hack was not very reliable back there. And the one game, I can't remember who they were facing, but we came on here and went, okay, he needs to be cut the next day. And then the more we thought about it, it didn't happen. But I think there's going to be a punting change, and just cutting him alone will save $1.2 million on the cap. So it it seems like a no-brainer and something that's bound to happen in this offseason. Yeah, I mean, we can throw some stats out there for you stat fans. He punted 52 times this year, which was 22nd in the league. He finished with an average of 42.9 yards per kick, which was 25th. And even though the yards per kick doesn't tell you everything about a punter because we were kind of bringing him in because the Bills don't usually have to punt as far, he only had 18 kicks inside the 20, which was tied for 21st. So all of his stats are 20th and below. That's not great. I know, like, I understand the Bills not wanting to 
put a lot of money into your punter because it's something they just don't do that often. Like I said, he only punted 52 times, which was 22nd in the league. So they really don't punt too often. I understand not re-signing Bajorquez who wanted, you know, to be paid quite well for what he does as a punter. But I think they were definitely missing his leg. And I think that was the big kind of oversight. I'm sure it's something they kind of knew, but I don't think it's something they took into consideration enough that Hack was from Florida and did all this, you know, in much better weather and temperatures and everything. And Borges did so well for the Bills because he had such a big leg. And I just don't think Mac Hack has it. Yeah, 100%. I, I think he definitely struggled this year. And there are a ton of punters out there because last year, a bunch of them signed one-year deals. So you're just going to need somebody that's more consistent in that range. And there's a few guys on this market that I am interested in, but I, I there's a few guys where I'm, it's pretty much almost guaranteed they're going to be going back. Uh, Brian Anger from the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys are going to re-sign him. Andy Lee of the Cards, he's probably going back to the Cards. Kevin Huber, he's been with Cincy for the longest time. Now, here's a couple names that I'm I'm very interested in if they do not re-sign. Pat O'Donnell. He's uh, with the Bears right now. Mike, um, I, I'm sorry, not Mike. Uh, Jordan Berry with the Vikings and then Dustin Colquitt with the, the Browns. Those are all three names that I would very be interested in bringing, bringing in at least to see what they got and maybe bring in a couple guys and then whoever wins the punting battle because everybody loves a punting battle. I mean, it, it'll make headline news everywhere for the Buffalo Bills on Buffalo News and you know ESPN everywhere if there's a punting battle for the Buffalo Bills punter spot. And I think you this is one where you got to kind of read, can they be consistent? And how does Tyler Bass feel about it? Because you don't want to just bring somebody in that's, you know, very consistent, but can't do what Tyler Bass needs. I don't want to fix one area and then hurt the other. And you might be thinking it's just a holder position. How bad can it be? But that's a reason why they didn't cut Matt Hack is because Tyler Bass had the holder and he didn't want to screw that up. So I think Tyler Bass and that holding department will also play a factor in that as as well as the consistency in the punting department. I can tell you just how important that holder position is if you'd like. <laughs> I would. I would like to hear this. I only know this because one of the negatives about Bajorquez was his holding ability. And in the last three seasons as a holder for the field goal kickers, the field goal kickers are only hitting 78.1% of their attempts, and that included one of the game's best in Mason Crosby this year for Green Bay. He went from an incredible year the year before, and now this year with Pajorquez as the punter and holder, he struggled quite a bit this season and did not have nearly the year he did the year before, and he's one of the best kickers in the entire league. So you can definitely see that the holder is a big deal. To me, I think same thing, like you said. I mean, bring one of these guys in, bring a few in, bring a punting battle in. I'd also like to see, you know, what the draft could possibly bring, even if it's an undrafted player. But, I mean, with Tyler Bass being so young, if you can draft a punter, again, not knowing exactly where punters go, probably very late, I would assume, or, again, undrafted altogether. But if you can bring in a young punter who can work with Tyler Bass and they can both kind of grow up together and just kind of be here for a long time. I think that would also be something that's interesting to look into for the bills. Yeah. I'm not opposed to that whatsoever. I, I would, I would be on board with that. I, I don't, I, I'm not up to verse on how early punters get drafted. I think sixth or seventh round, if that would be, was, I mean, Tyler Bass was what a fifth or a sixth round draft pick. I can't remember, but you could probably even get them off uh, undrafted 
out of college. So I'm not opposed to that, getting somebody in here for the long run and having him grow and be kind of like that Brian Mormon of olden days. Yeah, I just looked it up, actually. In 2021, there was only one punter drafted at all, and he went round seven, picked 254 to the Steelers. Not sure how he did, um, but that was it. So obviously, it's a position you can get very late, and especially with the Bills. I mean, they had this problem last season where toward the end of that draft, the Bills are such a complete team that you start getting into positions that you're simply going to cut that player because you don't have enough room on your team to make room for all these guys. So it's not exactly a wasted pick if you pick a punter that's you know kind of in the back end of the draft that's going to potentially be your starter versus a player that you're drafting just to see what they have, what they bring, and maybe some competition that eventually at the very end might just get cut because you don't have room for them anyway. So could be interesting to see if it's something that they kind of look toward toward the end of the draft. Yeah, it's definitely a position that you're going to be watching as we move forward. And I know there's two other positions on here, but Ree Ferguson is one of the best long snappers in the game. And like I said, Tyler Bass is still growing in his role, but he's also one of the top kickers in this league. So they're only hurting at the one position. They're, they're one of the best special teams unit and coverage in, in the league. They they have great, great um, guys on the outside like Saran Neal. Jake Kumaro is another guy that they might be bringing back the the backup wide receiver out there, but he's played pivotal role on the special teams. Andre Smith, you got Tyler Matakiewicz. There's a few guys that we've mentioned as because there are other positions that we mentioned earlier in the position of breakdown, so you can listen to those past shows also. But it's definitely a position, and they have a new coordinator as well. So I would love to see what that new special teams coordinator smiley is going to bring to this department i would love to see some different looks on special teams some some you know don't just kick it out of the back of the end zone make them try to return it and try to get it inside the 25 because it's very rare that guys return kicks for touchdowns anymore if you can get them back even further than the 25 where booting out of the end zone starts it i'm i'm on board with kicking it to like the two or three and making them field it and try to you know make a play I'm going to throw even more stats at you because we're having fun with special team stats. So I'm ready. The Bills ready. were top five in kickoff coverage at 18 yards per return, punt coverage at 5.6 yards per return, kickoff starting point at 26.6 yard line, opponent starting point at the 23.7 yard line, extra point percentage, which was 100%, block kicks, which was two, and takeaways on kickoffs, which was three. So. They were a top five unit in every single one of those categories. They're clearly very good at coverage. They were a top 10 unit as a whole. And I think if their punting was a little better, they might have been even in maybe the top five. But yeah, like you were saying, like Medikevich and Klein, we kind of talked about in the linebacker room that both of those players could be gone because of their money. If you cut both of them, you're saving 7.6, especially with the return of Dodson, who played a ton of special teams this past season, and Giles Harris possibly stepping up into that position. So it'll be interesting because Saran Neal was their best one. I think Matikiewicz was number two in special teams tackles, and then Klein, Gilliam, and Kumaro were all also very good special teams players. I'd like to see Kumaro back because I think he's not only good at special teams, I think he'd be pretty cheap. And again, it's good to have a little bit of depth at the wide receiver position. And whenever he's, you know, kind of been put in that starting role as a wide receiver, he's been pretty good. So I don't know. I think this team as a, you know, special teams unit, I think they'll be good again. And we will definitely see some changes, I think, on that kickoff return and possibly the punter. But overall, the the team is really good at special teams. 
So what grade would you like to give this position as it stands currently? I think I'm going to go with an A. Um, they were, they were a top 10 team overall, top five in all of, I would say the major categories that you need. A lot of them are returning. I know, um, heck is, you know, he lowers it a little bit, but I think T bass kind of covers for that. So I know hack will probably be gone or need to be, you know, some competition will have to be brought in to see if he can rewin the job. I, I don't think he's earned it, so I'm sure he will be gone, but they don't punt very often, so I'm not going to take too much away. And I'd like to throw an A out there to somebody on our way out of this uh, positional grading. So we're going to give it to uh, mainly Tyler Bass because uh, he deserves it. Yeah, I'm giving him an A- minus for the exact reasons you did because they're locked down at two-thirds of the positions and they just need a better punter. And like we said, how often do the Buffalo Bills punt? And it's not very often. I think they broke the record last year where Corey Bohoka has only punted like 42 times or something like that. So they're not a heavy punting team. They're more aggressive. I would like Sean McDermott to be even a little bit more aggressive. So you punt even less. But when you're only looking for a punter on your special teams unit, the coverage is great. All the stats you just listed out, which were beautiful. Uh, I'm giving them an A minus. They, they deserve it. Tyler Bass carries the department. And then Reed Ferguson, like I said, one of the best long snappers in the game. So A minus is well deserved. Good for the Buffalo Bills special teams unit. They 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 finished off our grading extremely well. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So, Phil, is there anything else you want to add to this episode before we say goodnight and uh, get ready for another long work week? No, it's been a, a bit of a long episode already. We had a lot to talk about with the three teams, so we can, uh, we can get out of here. Yeah, so on our next show, the Buffalo Bills segment will cover some offensive free agent reports, some guys that we would like to bring in to add to the offensive side of the ball. The following episode will cover the defense position because uh, special teams, or I'm sorry, for free agent is opening next week. So we're trying to get you all ready to kind of figure out who we want to target on the offensive side of the ball, and then we'll move to the defense the following time. We got the one game that we'll cover with the return of Sam Reinhart for the Buffalo Sabres. He's not returning to the Buffalo Sabres, but he's coming back to <laughs> Buffalo. And then we'll get you ready for the Buffalo Bandits versus the Philadelphia Wings on the Saturday home game, which is wing night. So be ready and be hungry because I think there's going to be some kind of deals for chicken wings. I have no idea. I don't know what they're planning, but it is wing <laughs> night. So uh, I guess with that, before we say goodbye, we want to give a nice happy birthday shout out to our producer, Producer Pat. He's turning the big 3-0 on Wednesday. He is not on this episode, but, you know, he is working behind the scenes on a bunch more stuff. So hopefully we can announce that pretty soon. But we, we got a lot of stuff coming in the docket. So if if you see him around town, you know, give Pat, producer Pat, a nice uh, handshake and say happy birthday. Yes. Happy birthday to producer Pat. And, uh, you know, congrats on making it to the 30 Club. Yeah, I am not there yet. Uh, I'm making my way there. But, you know, I'm still the youngest on this podcast, and I'll always be the youngest. (laughs) You'll always have that. (laughs) I will always have that. So thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Sports Collective. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts, and make sure you leave us a review on Apple and Spotify. Until next time, bye bye